Well, I hope you laugh at this joke because I think it's a good joke, okay? But three presidential candidates, three presidential candidates were riding in an airplane together somehow. I don't know how that happened. One of the presidential candidates, his name was Donald, and he decided to take a $100 bill and throw it out the window, and he said, I'm going to throw a $100 bill and throw it out the window and make somebody really happy. And that's when another candidate, his name was Joe, he said, I'm going to take 10 $10 bills, and I'm going to throw it out the window and make 10 people happy. And that's when the third candidate, I think his name was Bernie or something like that, he said, I'm going to take $101 bills and throw it out the window and make 100 people happy. And that's when the pilot got on the intercom and said, I'm going to throw three candidates out the window and make 300 million people happy. <laughs> that joke did not necessarily reflect the views of Inter-Christian Church or that of the preacher. However, <laughs> I thought it was a good joke. We've been on a journey called Game Changer. This is the fifth and final segment of this journey called Game Changer. And uh, it's been exciting for me to go through some of these truths that are game-changing truths. Let me walk you through some of them that we've gone through. Do you remember excavation before elevation? Before God starts to build you up, he first does a foundational work on your life. He does some excavating in the soil of our hearts before he can build on that foundation. Excavation before elevation. That's a game changer. The second one we talked about is Jesus is less concerned whether we're playing the game right. He's more concerned with whether we're playing the right game. There's a lot of people who's going to stand for God and say, hey, I was playing the game right. And God's going to say, you were playing the wrong game. <laughs> yeah, you were playing it pretty well, but you were playing the wrong game. That's a game changer. Third one is everybody has a scorekeeper. Who is yours? And the fourth one, we talked about walking in the general direction of obedience. And when you say yes to God and trust God, he shows up somewhere along the way. A somewhere between here and there kind of a faith. We talked about the power of true repentance. The reason we talk about true repentance is because there's such a thing as fake repentance. And then last week we talked about the game-changing truth of walking walking by the Spirit. How many of you today, be a participant, be a leader, how many of you wanna be a game changer? Raise your hand. How many of you wanna be a game changer? We've been talking about game changing truths. Today is how do I become a game changer? So we're gonna talk about this word, and here it is, it's a simple word. It is the word kindness. Some of the most important truths are sometimes the most forgotten truths because they seem like the simplest truths, even though they're the biggest truths. I came up with that, by the way. Some of the most important truths are sometimes the most forgotten truths, because they seem like the simplest truths, but they are the biggest truths. The definition of kindness that we're gonna use today is one small act of love, one person at a time. One small act of love, one person at a time. Would you read this out loud with me this morning? A small act of love, one person at a time. Let's do a little Greek study that will excite everybody. Yeah, right. I want to introduce to you two words, Christos and Krestos. The difference in these two words in the Greek is one letter. The I gets changed to E. Christos and Krestos. In the early days of the church, in the first century, when the church was first getting started and Christianity was brand new following the resurrected Jesus, people would call us, they would call us Christians. It was the word 
Christos, little Christs. And that's how they would describe us for years. And then this other word called Christos, with only one letter difference, it is the word for kindness that is found in your Bibles. Just one letter difference. But after about 30 or 40 years of calling us Christos, interestingly, the watching world started to call Christ followers Christos. Because these were the people who were constantly going around, loving people, one small acts of love, one person at a time. It defined who we were from the very beginning. Look at some of these passages that the Apostle Paul commanded. For example, in Colossians 3, the word Christos is found. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself, immerse yourself, baptize yourself, make it yourself with compassion, Christos, humility, gentleness, and patience. Galatians 5.22 is part of the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Christ. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another. You know that famous love chapter that's read at every wedding, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is, love is, love is. Verse 4 says, love is crestos. Love is kind, which means to be unkind is to be unchristlike. That's what that means. Matthew chapter 7, the best definition of kindness that I could find in the scriptures, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. How much different would our world be if we all lived by that? Do unto others. Sorry about the unto. The King James just still leaks into that verse right there. Do unto others what you would like them to do to you. Treat others how you want to be treated. This is the essence. This is the essence. This is the core. This is part of who we are, of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. If we were to hold a poll in the room today, and I was to ask you, give me descriptions of God. Who is God? The attributes of God. Somebody would say, God is love, and we would say, that's right. Somebody would say, God is power. That's right. Somebody would say, God is holy. You would be right. Somebody would say, God is sovereign, all-knowing. You'd be right. But just so you know, Scripture is very clear, God is kind. It's all over the Scriptures. Titus 3, verse 4, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, 1 Peter chapter 2, now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness, Ephesians 2, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus, So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 2. Don't you see, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? This one's kind of humorous. Romans chapter 11. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. The kindness and sternness. Look how nice and mean he is. <laughs> the, it's not, look at the kindness and the sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Considering kindness is one small act of love at a time. It's one of the descriptors of God. It's one of the descriptors of the early Christians. You would find it 
to be relevant that it's also one of the early descriptors, descriptors of Jesus. Acts chapter 10, the key verse for today, verse 38 puts it this way, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Church, what did Jesus do with the Holy Spirit and power? Here's what it says. Then Jesus went around doing good. He went around doing good. I want to introduce you to a new word in your vocabulary today, Sandman. Sandman. Everybody say it out loud. Sandman. This is an acronym for the way Jesus lived. This is an acronym for the way God wants us to live. This is an acronym for the descriptions of the early Christians. This is an acronym that you're going to hear a lot in the coming months and probably even years. Let me tell you what the acronym stands for. Here it is. Sandman stands for see a need, meet a need. See a need, meet a need. This is the approach Jesus took to his three years of ministry. Now let's just turn on our imaginators for a moment. Imagine you are Jesus. You've always wanted to be Jesus anyway. So let's just imagine you're Jesus for a second. It's Luke chapter four. You just passed the test of temptation. Satan has tempted you three times, you pass the test. You're standing on the mountains 40 days without food and water, you're probably thinking about Burger King. No, you're thinking about Texas Roadhouse. No, you're thinking about Texas Roadhouse. Okay, that's apparently what I'm thinking about. You're standing on the mountain. You got three years of ministry ahead of you. That's, that's what you got before the cross. You don't have much time. Where do you go off that mountain to make the biggest impact? Maybe you go east toward China because China has the world's largest population. If you want to make the biggest impact, you go to China. There were 231 million people on the planet at that time. A quarter of them were in China. Israel only had one million, if that. So maybe you go to China, but he didn't go there. Maybe you walk off that mountain and go straight to your nation's capital building because there's some social reforms that need to take place. Women are being mistreated. They're being treated as second-class citizens. Children are dying early. Half of children died by the age of 10. There were medical problems. There were uh, economic problems. There was almost no middle class that existed. Maybe you go straight to the, na uh, to the nation's capital building. You go straight there, but that's not where Jesus went. Maybe you go to Rome, the city of cities, where it's all taken place the center of the hub at that time. Maybe you get on a ship and go west and you make your difference in Rome. That's not where he went. Maybe you go to the entertainment system. The entertainment business at that time was the way people had fun, they would sit in a seat like where you are right now and they would enjoy watching people get killed in a Colosseum. That's what they enjoyed as their entertainment. Maybe you go and take care of the Hollywood of their day but that's not where Jesus went. Where did he walk off that mountain? Where did he go? The Bible tells us he saw a need, he met needs. Village to village, town to town, road by road, he would see a need, he would meet a need, he would go about doing good. Same man. He lived with a see a need, meet a need approach. Luke chapter four, if we were to just go through Luke, verse 40 says, while he was with neighbors, he made time for them. Verse 42 and 43, he stayed local, going from small town to small town. Chapter five, verse 13, he went and he healed one leper. 
Chapter 5, verse 20, he healed one paralyzed man. Chapter 5, verse 27, he has time to eat with the town outcast. Nobody else had time for him. Jesus did. He saw a need, he met a need. Chapter 6, verse 6, he healed one man with the withered hand. Chapter 6, verse 20 through 49, summarizes Jesus' ministry with this. He just went around loving one another. And it was in this context that John the Baptist asked the question, should we be looking for somebody else? This is it? Just one at a time? You didn't go to China. You didn't go to Rome. You didn't go to the entertainment business. You didn't go to the nation's capital. Is this it? Should we be looking for somebody else? It was in the context of people describing the ministry of Jesus, the Sandman approach to Jesus, to John the Baptist, that he said, man, buddy, you're a good guy. I'm not saying you're not a good guy, but is there somebody else? Because you have bigger fish to fry. You don't have much time. You have three years. Is this it? We get this in ministry circles all the time. What's the secret to fast growth, big impact, as many people as possible in a short amount of time? Is there a program? Is there an event? Is there mailers? Is there social media? How can we get the biggest impact as quickly as possible? And I'm not against any of those things. We do some of those things, but it's not the core of who we are. See a need. Need a need. Love people. Acts of kindness. One person at a time. That's ministry. Don't underestimate the power of of one small act of kindness. You never know how far it can go. Let me uh, introduce you to Blake McCoskey, the owner and founder of Tom's Shoes. Maybe you've heard of Tom's Shoes. He's a millionaire many times over. He makes more money than you (laughs) or I put together. He might be a billionaire, I don't know. But he's at least, I think he's $875 million is what he is worth right now. He created these shoes that he saw in Argentina. He never saw these in the U.S., so he sells them here. But this is how it got started. It got started as one small act of kindness, one small act of love. In 2006, he was in Argentina. He saw some kids that didn't have shoes. There were some ladies who were coming along who were donating shoes to these children. And he said, hey, can I help? Can I donate something, and he pulled out some money, and he donated one pair of shoes. That made me feel pretty good, and they put the shoes on the kid, and the lady turned around and looked at him and said, so where's the next pair going to come from? Kids' feet grow fast. He's going to need a new pair in four or five months. That's one kid, where's the rest of the kids going to get their shoes, and where's this kid going to get his next pair of shoes? And that's sometimes the struggle with charities and donational organizations. They, they are meeting a need, but there's no sustainable real way to meet the long-term need. And Blake saw a need, he met a need, and he thought, hey, I can go home back to California in the United States of America. They've never seen these shoes at all. And I can start selling these shoes. And for every shoe I sell, I'm going to buy or create this same shoe, and donate it to a kid in Argentina. So every time, it's called the one-for-one principle. Every time a Tom's shoe is bought, even to this day, another pair of Tom's shoes is donated to a kid that doesn't have shoes. He's given away over 60 million pairs of shoes in over 60 countries. They've also started an eyewear line. He has restored the sight of over 400,000 people in 13 countries. They've started a coffee company line. With every purchase of Tom's coffee, Tom's provides one, one week's worth of clean drinking water to a family who otherwise, somewhere in the world, would not have had clean drinking water. They provide skills and items for women who are pregnant so that they can have a safe 
delivery, a safe labor. He has impacted over 30,000 mothers in this way. And it all started on one day where he decided to give one small act of kindness and love. He saw a need and he met the need. He lived by Sandman. Real talk, practical talk, how do we do this? Let me give you five principles on how to be a Sandman liver. Number one, follow God's promptings. God's gonna give you an opportunity this week to see a need and meet a need. He will. Follow God's leading with showing acts of kindness. This is what Jesus did. In the book of John, 62 times in the book of John, it says that all Jesus was doing was following his father's leading, following his father's prompting. Chapter four, verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Chapter five, verse 30, I do nothing on my own. I don't seek my will, I seek his will. Chapter five, verse 36, the work of the Father has given me is the work I am doing. Chapter eight, I do nothing on my own, just what the Father teaches me. I always do the things that please him. Chapter 14, I am in the Father, the Father is in me. The words I speak, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does work through me. Maybe we shouldn't complain about our busy day. Maybe we shouldn't complain about our chaotic schedule, and we realize God putting opportunities in front of us to see a need and meet a need. We need to correct our prayers, friends. We don't need to pray, God, would you give me an opportunity to make a difference? We need to pray, God, would you give me the eyes to see the opportunities you're already given me? He's given you the opportunities. We just need to see it. Pray for eyes to see that. Follow God's promptings. Number two, all Americans need to hear this. Slow down and look up. You're not going to see anything until you look up. Open your eyes. Busyness is the arch enemy of love. Luke chapter 10, the Good Samaritan. Before the Good Samaritan helped that man on the side of the road, there were two religious people, a priest and a Levite, who were too busy to show an act of kindness to that man on the side of the road. Slow down. Look up. Number three, make the person in front of you the most important person to you. Make the person in front of you, whoever you're talking to, the most important person to you. One of the greatest gifts you can give someone is your presence, in their presence. God put that person in front of you for five seconds, 15 seconds, 55 seconds, five minutes, 50 minutes, and just with your presence and attention, you let them know that you're important. Nothing makes somebody feel more unimportant than while you're in front of them and your head is down looking at what? Your phone. Turn your phone off. Now there's preaching for you right there. Put it in your pocket. And when somebody's talking to you, you keep it in your pocket. Have you ever been in a conversation you're trying to talk to somebody and they're sitting there texting or they're sitting there doing something else on your phone and nothing, nothing deteriorates the value of the importance of who you are than when that is happening? Give people your undivided attention. Jesus did this better than anybody. He made the person in front of them the most important person at that time. It's why, it's why we know the names of certain people in the Bible. It's what made Jesus so effective. He let people know they were important. Number four, be the best neighbor 
your neighbors have ever had? Do you know your neighbors' names? Do you know your neighbors' names? Or are you too busy, too hectic, looking down too often to get to know your neighbors? Let me just tell you this. People don't do this anymore. They used to. Neighbors used to know neighbors. That used to be a thing, by the way. Doesn't happen as much anymore since social media. I'm not anti, this voice sure sounds like him. I'm not anti-social media, but the research is just now starting to come back. We've had it long enough now to know Social media, the increase of loneliness, the increase of social anxiety, the increase of depression, and the increase of suicidal rates are going up proportionally with the increase of social media use. I know we think we're getting companionship and, and, and relationship and fellowship through the computer and online. And so I, I, I know we think that, but all the while we don't know the person who lives right next to us. People are lonely. They're hurting. They don't know each other. Invite your neighbors over for dinner we do it every week. We have a dinner every week, usually Wednesday night. Sometimes it changes, and we don't do it to bring people in the church. We're not doing it as a project. We're not doing it to, hey, here's our angle. We're trying to grow the church. We just do it because we want to be the best neighbor we can possibly be. We just want to love people one at a time. And some, some of the people are actually here today that have been part of those dinners, but that wasn't the purpose. The purpose was just to love people, and we want to get to know our neighbors because that's what Christians do. Christos, Christos. That's why we know the name Zacchaeus, because Jesus made time for Zacchaeus. That's why we know the name Nicodemus. That's why we know the name Bartimaeus. That's why we know the woman at the well. We don't know her name, but Jesus made time for her when nobody else would make time for her. And then number five, commit to Sandman. You take a moment. There should be a blank sheet on your chair or on the chair next to you. I, I put one in every chair. But there should be a blank sheet around you. And this is something that we are going to do every Sunday for a while until your preacher gets tired of it, basically, is how it usually goes down. But here's what I want you to do. For any act of love, any act of kindness, you hold the door open for somebody who needed to push the grocery cart through a door. Although, those are usually automatic doors. But let's just say, one small act of kindness. On Sundays when you come, we're gonna have these. We, there's just one in your chair, but you could probably fill out three or four or five, right? Every Sunday when you come, part of our every Sunday thing is gonna be just me privately in my chair filling out a Sandman sheet. This is what, I'm not gonna put my name. You're not gonna put your name. This is what I did this week. And I may fill out three of them, four of them, eight of them in a week and we fill those out, and we're gonna put them in the offering baskets at the end of the service, and we're gonna start collecting those, and Sunday by Sunday, maybe not every Sunday, but Sunday by Sunday, I'm gonna read some of them, and it's, going, it's just going to encourage us to continue to live the Sandman approach. Anytime you see a need, you meet a need, you record it on Sunday, and we're gonna have these, and here's our goal. Church, do you think, do you think, here's a challenge, if you like a challenge, do you think we could fill out 500 of these by the time school starts? If all of us filled out two a week, we're easily hitting 500. So here's the challenge as a church. Could we fill out 500 Sandman papers by the time school starts and 2,000 by Christmas? 2,000 
acts of kindness happening. So one of the deals with the church, and this is what I believe, and, and this is what our leadership believes, is not that we should be taking from the people around us, but that we should be a light we should be a blessing. We should make this community better. We should be a blessing for this community. And if we do 2,000 acts of kindness by Christmas, we are being a light on a hill that cannot be hidden. Don't you want to be a part of that? And so that's the challenge, 502,000, 502,000. This is head, heart, hands, head, heart, hands. This is putting it to the hands. So it could be delivering cookies to a neighbor. It could be you see a mother's trying to carry her, her toddler while, per, while pushing her grocery cart out, and so you take the cart. Yeah, you probably wouldn't. The lady probably wouldn't give you the cart. <laughs> Never mind, don't try that. Those venture people are weird. It could be a handwritten thank you letter to someone in your life who's blessed you. Do you know what it feels like to get a handwritten thank you letter? It is such a blessing. It's a small act of kindness, but it's the way Jesus lived. There's endless possibilities, many I had written down, but you get the idea. Maybe you can fill some of those out today. Maybe something happened this week, but it's making us cognitive. Am I living in a Sandman approach? Just, just so you know, the world is in dire need of kindness, amen? We have created, the world has created, not a national holiday, a global holiday called World Kindness Day, November 13th. Did you know that? There's a World Kindness Day now. Why do you think we had to create a World Kindness Day? Because we are lacking. <laughs> we are in dire need of a Sandman approach. I love what Abraham Joshua Heckel said. He said, when I was young, I admired clever people. Now that I'm old, I admire kind people. Proverbs 3 said it even better. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Maybe you noticed two weeks ago as we close on uh, three weeks ago, June 6th, a bloom of ladybugs showed up on the National Weather Satellites. They actually showed up right around San Diego. The weathermen couldn't believe it. For a while, they were trying to figure out, wh what is that? It was a bloom of ladybugs at least a mile high and 10 miles wide. So many ladybugs had gotten together. I don't know what it was, the convention of national ladybugs or something was going on. And they all got together and they could see it from outer space. Just ladybugs. Individually, by themselves. Ladybugs, not very impressive. Put them together, can be seen all over the world. Delivering cookies to your neighbor. Ah, what difference is that going to make? Giving shoes away to a little boy in Argentina. Ah, what difference is that going to make? 2,000 acts of kindness by Venture Christian Church people by Christmas. Ah, what difference is that going to make? Never underestimate the power of one small act of kindness.